Welcome to Creating Dangerously. Our name is taken from the Albert Camus 1957 lecture, Create Dangerously, where he said, To create today is to create dangerously. Any publication is an act, and that act exposes one to the passion of an age that forgives nothing. In Creating Dangerously, we look back at those who have created dangerously to those who continue to do so today in an age that still forgives nothing. I'm your host, Skip Shea, so let's create dangerously. Welcome, everybody, to the Creating Dangerously podcast. I'm Patrick Bracken. I'm flying solo this week because I've got an interview with British musician, singer-songwriter Fife Dangerfield, whose band Gillamots, very popular in, in the UK. Fife, welcome to Creating Dangerously. Thank you very much. It's really lovely to be here. Now, I wanted to start in 2006 with your band Gillamots. You released your first full-length album, Through the Window Pane. And yeah. it starts with a song called Little Bear. I wouldn't want to cause you anything that might break your lovely face up in a thousand shattered china pieces. Uh, someone named Paul McCartney called it one of his all-time favorite songs, and he said it was a really brave way to open an album. And I was wondering if you could put yourself in in Sir Paul McCartney's head, and why would he say that that was a, a brave way to open an album? I mean, yeah, that was a real buzz. Um, because uh, I have a very special relationship with the Beatles, like that they. Sorry, I will come to your question, but um, that they, <laughs> I, I, I didn't really listen to anything else for the first sort of eight nine years of my life. Like my oldest brother sort of played me their stuff when I was three, and at that point I couldn't get my head around the sort of later stuff, but just the early records I just adored. And then I, yeah. The, I sort of have always known their music really as long as I have memories. So it's almost like a family member. So like, you know, it, it, it's it's not like objectively, I think every single thing they did is incredible, but it, it's just part of my DNA almost. So yeah, getting that whole thing with him and everything was, was amazing. But well, I guess, yeah, it was really lovely that he specifically chose that track, you know, rather than like maybe one of the singles or something, because yeah, I suppose it was quite a brave. I mean, you know, like it, 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 it. It's literally just string orchestra and 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 I'm playing piano and singing. We recorded it live. I don't know. It's only retrospectively you think. I mean, I can sort of see it now and go, yeah, I guess that was quite a bold thing. But like, it, it didn't really cross. I just always was like, that's how the record's going to start. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and 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 one of the lovely things when we because somehow the year before in 2005 we kind of we managed to become the band of the moment that people were trying to sign, which was sort of, it was the last sort of breaths of the old music industry, I think, when they mm -hmm. could wine and dine and spend money on people before it all fell apart. <laughs> but uh, we, and yeah, when I was, when we were meeting people, I, I, I would just always say, um, can I, can we have an orchestra in the first record? And can I do the arrangements? 
and Colin uh, Polydor who signed us was like, yeah, sure. Which when I look back on it, it's incredibly trusting of him yeah. because I didn't really have any track record. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I, I always knew I wanted to do that. So yeah, it, it, it's sort of a bit of a, I can never say the word, an anonymously as a track. <laughs> There's not really another one like no. it on the album or that I've ever done really. So it's a gorgeous song. And by the way, we're going to include links to, um, uh, where you can get all of these songs in the show notes of the, the episode. Oh, so listeners, please, uh, please check that out. Uh, I want to back up a little bit and get you to that point. So, you know, briefly, how did you get involved with music? How did you get involved with the music business? Music, I've been lucky like that. It's I've always known it's what I'm going to do. Like we had, I, my, neither of my parents were sort of, you know, uh, especially musical like my dad plays a bit of piano and loves music and mum loves music too but yeah there was a piano in the house that had belonged to like I always forget who it was but one of their parents and um I I played from a young age I was going towards that and playing it and mum and dad could apparently hear some sense of me bashing out tunes I mean when I hear the tapes it just sounds like I'm banging it but there was obviously something so I sort of started having lessons when I was very young and like the first teacher sort of just wanted me to turn into a little child prodigy or something. And I think I came home crying one time. So that was that was over. But then we found a really nice teacher. But I mean, the thing I always enjoyed doing the most, the, the lessons I'm sure helped in terms of uh, technique and stuff. But I always just enjoyed I was lucky enough to be able to kind of play by ear as in sort of, you know, you can hear a tune and play it kind of thing. So like I just always did that. And yeah, a lot of my childhood was just spent playing little Beatles songs on the piano by myself. So there was never really any question whether it was what I was going to do. And so, you know, then, you know, teenage years, I, of course, I formed a band and we had a tiny, tiny bit of success, like as in uh, John Peel, the British DJ sort of played one or two of our tracks and gave us a session. But, you know, that then broke up. Yeah, and I sort of did what a lot of people do. When I was about 21, I moved to London, kind of in search of a band, really. And the idea was really that I would be a solo artist, but I would find I didn't want a bunch of session musicians to play live with. Because by this point, I'd sort of discovered the whole free improvised scene and all that. And I, I was just like, I don't want to be in a band where the gig's just the same every night. I want an element of like uh, spontaneity. And so I gradually sort of found the others in the band and it, it, we just sort of ended up becoming a band, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, like the first album, was still very much led by me and then the next one was kind of like all of us equally and so on but like yeah it was almost like sort of accidental it was just like well this just feels like a proper band you know not just a live band yeah that's a fairly short version of it yeah i think okay i saw a review once a positive review of one of your albums that that called your music arena rock for people that don't like crowds and i was wondering how I like what <laughs> what was that People that don't like what? Oh, crowds. Crowds. Right, crowds. Okay. Right. okay. <laughs> uh, I was wondering how That's you would describe your music. Oh, I've never been able to do this. But, <laughs> but also, like, because it, it's also hard talking about the music, like, because the music I made then with Guillemot's, like, of course, that's still in me. But, mm -hmm. like, you know, it, it was quite a long time ago as well. So, like, you know, I can sort of see all the strengths and weaknesses all together. And, and like, you know, I, yeah, I think probably the Guillemot's music or at least that first album definitely 
I can totally, it definitely has that sort of, uh, you know, quite cinematic, but like uh, very emotionally kind of like longing. And I'm, this, I don't think people will be able to see, but I'm sort of spreading my arms out. I, don't, I, I can never find the words. It's quite interesting because I think I'm realizing this more and more, and I'm sure we'll touch on this more, but like for me, the kind of creative journey that I'm having anyway is about finding a way to sort of bring in every element of what I'm about. But it's almost like there's two quite, at the two extremes. On the one hand, I'm known maybe to some people primarily as a singer and, and someone that sits down at the piano and sings songs. And it's this quite approachable, friendly sort of like, you know, romantic, relatively mainstream, you know, palatable kind of thing. But then on the other hand, like I love producing and making sounds and composing. And, and in that realm, like I love anything, the most sort of messed up sounds. Like I have, there's no sort of sense of like, oh, I like this kind of music and I don't like that. It's the full spectrum. So those two things have always been kind of dancing in me and so on. I think, you know, sometimes that's a strength and sometimes as a weakness, because I think with Guillemots, we, Sorry, I'm really going off on one, but I think it all kind of relates to your question. I, I, I um, we, we always kind of felt like we fell between the cracks a bit because we were sort of, I think the more songwritery singer side of me and certainly the kind of stuff I was writing then, it didn't really have that sort of edginess that a lot of inverted commas alternative music had. So, it, but on the other hand, for the mainstream, we were always a bit too weird. You know, it was always like for, for mainstream, you're too weird but you're, you're not weird enough for the cool crowd. So <laughs> there was this strange kind of, you know, so yeah, I, you know, I, I can sort of, uh, there was definitely that quite, and I, that quote you said about arena rock for people who uh, don't like crowds. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I can get that, but I mean, I think there's probably one thing I really liked with Guillemots and hopefully it's still true with me now as well, is that we didn't really have an audience, you know, it was like at our gigs, there'd be teenagers and there'd be, you know, 70 year old hippies and the big like everything. And and so I think probably lots of different people would have had a different experience with our music. It's always very hard to sort of, I've never been good at describing <laughs> what I do or selling it, you know? Well, you've actually touched on a lot of things that I want to get into in this interview as we go through your career, but I want to, I want to get back to through the window pane a little bit to, to a song I think kind of touches on this. One of your biggest hits was a song called Made Up Love Song Number 43. Mm. And in it, uh, it it's, a, it's a really joyful song. You capture a lot of, you know, this, the, the silliness of, of that feeling of falling in love. You talk about finding poetry in an empty Coke can. I love you through sparks and shining dragon sides. Now there's poetry in an empty coke can. I love you through sparks and shining dragons, I do. Now there's majesty in a burn out caravan. So, why did you call it Made Up Love Song Number 43? <laughs> I, mainly because you know I, I didn't really have much of a love life at the time I mean I think I wrote it when I was about 2021 20, and I mean I didn't I was disastrously shy with girls and I, I didn't really have a girlfriend until I was 23 24 yeah. so 
I remember what inspired the song. I remember that I used to work in this nightclub playing piano in, in the upstairs bar. But I remember one time after I'd finished my stint, like going down into the club bit and, you know, it was literally just there being some girl who I fancied and just was like, oh, I've got a real crush on her and too shy to even talk to her, I think. Or if I did, it was like, hello. Uh, so then just kind of went home and it was like, I was just kind of taking the mick out of myself, really. It was just like, ah, another... <laughs> Another fantasy love song about something that's never going to happen. It was just, a, you know, I mean, that I, I'm sure anyone you talk to will have similar experiences. Like that song would never have been one I would have picked out. You know, I had a load of songs written at that point. Most of them still not released now. And I, I'd mm-hmm. love to come back to them at some point. A, a journalist, actually, that I knew, a lot, he was a lot older than me, but a journalist in Birmingham. I, I, I would send him all my demos because, he, you know, he really liked sort of being quite analytical and critiquing them and I sent him like 30 or 40 or something and you know it was like kind of like the idea of doing an EP what do you think should be on it and he just came back with the four track sequence that was our very first EP and that was track three on it and I, I yeah to me like that one it wasn't one of my favorites at all it, it, I guess because it's so simple but I think that's often the way that the ones that you think are the best ones everyone's like no no that's the one and even when we did the EP, to me, I was like, the first track I was like, this is the one. And then everyone was like, why didn't it start with track three? Track three is the one. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that's why I called it that, really. It was it, it was a silly title to have something to write down on the CD or whatever at the time. And then it just stuck, you know. There's no significance in 43 or anything. Okay. <laughs> like, that is my age now, actually. So. Oh, wow. Well, happy yeah. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. It's not my birthday. Yeah. It's, it, it is my age, yeah. Well, one of the, the great things about Through the Window Pane is it is so varied. You do have that that simple song, but you have some really complex songs. Uh, Sao Paulo, uh, you know, I, I think it's like a 10-minute song. goes through a lot of different yeah. moods. And, and that that's what a lot of your music does. Uh, by the way, uh, just just for, especially for our Americans, what is uh, Guillemot? It's a kind of seabird. It kind of looks like a little tiny penguin, I guess. It's uh, the nest on cliffs and... Okay. Make a lot of yeah i'm a bird one yeah i was uh, th- we're gonna get into that but uh you have so many songs that either uh are about birds or mm. that have bird sounds in them what is it that attracts you to birds and, and musically it, i mean it's just a th- you know like it's never been intended to be like some sort of gimmick thing or anything but it's just like i just you know i i since I've been five or six, I've enjoyed bird watching. Like my parents were sort of interested in it anyway. Uh, and I then in the summer holidays, when I was about five, there was a a sort of all day bird watch thing on for a week on, on the BBC. And my mum was watching it and I wandered into the room and I was like, oh, and started watching it too. And so then that morphed into, you know, most weekends we'd as a family, the three of us would, would go out and uh, bird watch and stuff. So, yeah, I just really... I've always been fascinated with birds I, and wildlife generally, but especially birds. And yeah, I mean, it's lovely. I mean, actually where I am now, it, I, I, I'm, I've i started for the last year kind of feeding the birds in my windowsill and it's lovely, you know, it's and, and they, they keep coming into the room that they keep getting like accidentally <laughs> finding their way in the room and then getting uh, stuck. So I keep, I've, I've woken up quite a few times with a bird frantically flapping around in here, but I kind of like it. And then they, I free them. <laughs> So through the window pane was. I'm not trying to pretty... trap them. That sounds like no, I'm no. trying. To... <laughs> that was not the intention. But uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, yeah. I thought I should just clarify that. 
So Through the Window Pane was pretty big success. Did you feel a lot of pressure in recording the follow-up? Did it change how yeah. you recorded the follow-up? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was... I don't think we... I mean, I, I guess it was quite big. I don't think we realised maybe at the time quite... I mean, it wasn't, like, massive, but it was... <laughs> And I think you know when you when you're when you're doing stuff, you tend to notice the negative stuff more. So to us, there was a bit like, well, loads of people don't seem to think it's any good. But actually, looking back, yeah, I guess it was quite. But yeah, the follow up, there, there was there was various things going on because for a start within the band, there was then like this thing of like you know, which is understandable. It was like everyone was kind of like, we want to be more creatively involved this time. It wasn't like they weren't creatively involved in the first one, but I was definitely in charge. So on the second one, it was very much like, uh, and in Guillemots, it was four very strong-minded creative people with very different tastes. And I mean, that was part of why it really worked. But so I think, and I think also we developed quite a self-consciousness about, we would get described as quirky a lot. And it was a word that really wound us all up because it sort of sounded, I the way we would come across sometimes in interviews or whatever, or the way people would describe us, it would almost sound as if like, you know, I marched into the rehearsal in like a clown costume. Like, hey guys, like what weird sounds can we use today? <laughs> you know, and like to us, it was you know, what's weird now is that things have changed so much in less than 20 years because now everyone's making music on computers. Every track you hear sonically almost sounds like it could be like a Warp Records B-side from the 90s or something. Like, I mean, uh, the palette now is so broad. But, you know, and everyone's using making sounds and sampling them and using Ableton and all that. And but, you know, this was 2006. And at that point, certainly if you're in a band, it was still kind of a big deal if you weren't if you were doing more than just being guitar based drums or, you know, like so. You know, I, it seemed to become the selling point with us, but the, the, the pitch point in press that they're the band that used the typewriter on a track or whatever. But it was it was only ever just like wanting to. uh be more uh have a broader palette covered colors but then i think on the second record we i think we probably wanted to react against this quirkiness of, although we probably looking at the record we probably didn't exactly help our cause but i think i think we just wanted to do something really different to the first record and again i now look at it and like as a commercial decision definitely the sensible thing to have done would have been to sort of follow on from through the window pane make it even lusher make the songs a bit more commercial like but yeah, instead we we made we wanted to make this weird like chocolate box sort of selection of I guess colorful modern pop. So yeah, it kind of I think understandably somewhat bemused a lot of people when it came out. <laughs> and it's a record I've got sort of like very mixed feelings about. There's aspects of it I really love. The the stuff I don't like is generally my vocals and my lyrics, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um I think production wise it's great. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is a very different album. It's called Red, by the way. Great album. A lot of varied stuff on it. My one of my favorite songs from the album is is a song called Falling Out of Reach. Yeah, you should be sleeping. We're a movie podcast, so I wanted to talk specifically about that video because it has uh, Sir Ian McKellen. Oh, yeah. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering how that came about. Did you get to meet him? Was he a fan? We, we yeah, his his um nephew was was into the band and I can't remember how it happened, but somehow, yeah, what we were talking to him was, oh, my uncle is Ian McKellen. And then, and then he came to watch us play at the Astoria. <laughs> I remember him coming up into the dressing room afterwards. Wonderful music. <laughs> like that sort of Gandalf voice, you know. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and then at some point we were like, oh, can you be in our video? Um, yeah, I can't remember too much about it all, to be honest. It's all a bit of a blur, but like, but yeah, uh, he was, he was very kind and generous with his time and lovely yeah oh great okay so then you you did your first solo album uh yeah. fly yellow moon how what was your how was your approach different to that uh, as opposed it, to being in a band it's very strange to me in a way that that it that that's like for years i mean at least now i i've started putting more things out although i still haven't actually put an album out yet but <laughs> it's so odd in a way that that's for years being like my first solo record because it's like it wasn't really made like right I'm starting my solo career and everything I've ever wanted to say you know which is normally what a first album is it was more that after the kind of chaos of making the second Gillenwatts record not I mean it was fun too but yeah I mean it was quite it was quite stressful at times we, it was the sort of thing we'd be spending like three days trying to get the snare drum to sound like a chainsaw or whatever you know yeah. And so at the end of that year, Christmas 2008, just before Christmas break, I just booked five days in a local studio with with Adam, who had recorded a lot of Red and, and Wind of Pain too. And I was just like, look, I just want to, let's just record some songs, just demos and, you know. So we did that. And and that was basically the record. I mean, you know, like a, at least half the record were just rough mixes that we took home that Christmas and never changed. But, you know, I then did one or two more sessions the next year and wrote one or two more songs. And, but I, I just wanted to do the complete opposite of what red was and just do some really straightforward, simple songs. I, I, and, you know, usually I'm really driven by originality. Like I want to make something that people haven't heard before, but I think because we'd gone so deep into that and red, I was just like, I don't care just piano, guitar, drum, you know, I guess I do that a lot. I react against myself. So it, yeah, it, it kind of, um, it's always been strange to me that it was, it, it's not, it, as a, it's not really a statement. It's not really uh, a first album statement. It was more just a bit of downtime from Guillemots. You know, I released it and uh, yeah, yeah, there it's, it is. It, I, I love it. Recognizing all that you just said, uh, that, that all makes sense. But there's a song on, on there, She Needs Me. Yeah, you would put another blanket around me. This is where I want to be. This is where. I'm still mad that, and I, I don't understand why it wasn't uh, a smash hit everywhere. I, I mean, but <laughs> well, it, it it is so full of joy 
And we talked about made up love song number 43. And that was also joyish. But this this feels like really genuine. <laughs> and I was wondering how you created that. First of all, what was that song responding to something that was you were actually feeling at the time? And how, how did you create that that sense of joy musically and lyrically? Oh, so good <laughs> questions. Um, I'm trying to think of the genesis of that song because I can't really remember particular life. You know, I, I, I didn't, I think it was more a case of, you know, when I write songs, usually what it is, is the music comes first. And hmm. I get an emotion, I get a feeling from the music. And what I'm trying to do with the lyrics is I'm trying to sort of bring that emotion out so it's trying to find words that feel like they marry you know like good wine with a with a good food it's it's like trying to find the right match i guess the music just felt very joyous and you know and it sort of somehow actually became those kind of lyrics that i did you know i don't i i wasn't writing the lyrics like at the start of a relationship or something so mm -hmm. i wasn't wasn't as i recall any kind of soundtrack to falling in love or something as i remember i think the basic melody actually happened when we were recording Trains to Brazil a few years before. I think I'd just been playing around on the piano and had lodged that tune a bit. And then, yeah, I, I, I can't remember too much. There's quite a few different versions of that song. Like I That was one I recorded in that little five-day session at the end of 2008, but it was like much more strummy, sort of dreamy acoustic. But yeah, anyway, at some point it sort of became, let's make this a kind of disco strings stomper. And I completely ripped off ELO. I, I, I hadn't realised... <laughs> wrote the string part but it's only later I was real I literally the did it a little 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 that's it from it's a living thing but like, it's literally <laughs> note for note the same riff so uh that wasn't intentional and and I it's also a rip off of um the start of it feels like a rip off of everyday people by Sly and Family Stone to me mm -hmm. it's a very similar start and tune and you know shameless <laughs> magpies <laughs> but uh yeah, it's uh it's it's an unsubtle track, but you know, it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's you know what it's not it's not a ripoff if you do it well. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you you pick up on joyousness though. I mean, I think that's like it's certainly not the you know, I I I really want to explore all the emotions, but I I do think it's more challenging maybe or to capture the up emotions than the the hmm. the, the darker ones. I remember when I used to be a steward at the festival hall before Guillemots took off. And that was back in 2004 or five around then. Brian Wilson came and um, started doing those shows where he was playing Pet Sounds again and um, hmm. and Smile. And ju I, I just remember the uh, the ovation. I think the very first show, I, I got to watch it. And the ovation he got from the audience, I'd never seen anything like it. And I, I sensed that it was something to do with the fact that his music had just brought so much joy to people, you know, and I love all kinds of stuff, but I, I do think, and I think it's also a lot easier to be cool when you're being dark, mm. whereas to sort of really express joy in a way that is contagious and spreads onto people. I don't know. I think it's maybe harder to do, but maybe that's not true. I don't know. Yeah, well, that kind of transitions perfectly into to my next question, because I, I want to move on to Walk the River. Yeah, uh, which is is my personal favorite. Uh, okay, Gilman. right. But uh, there there are a couple of songs on there that uh, you talk about darkness 
yeah that, the kind of feeling there's a song called i don't feel amazing now which is yeah first of all a fantastic title i don't want to play any game someone always loses and they usually share my name just take me out of here let me be your souvenir Could you talk a little bit about uh, the genesis of that song and, and recording that song? Yeah, well, it was one of the songs that came out of us playing as a band. I mean, we've got, you know, at some point before too long, we will. We have hours and hours and hours of recordings just recorded on one microphone. We used to record all our rehearsals on, on mini disc, but we've always wanted to release them at some point. And we will because it was a whole other side to us as a band that only didn't really get represented that one on the records but probably walk the river out of any of them is the one where it comes across the most because i think that's the most bandy sort of sounding record but like a, you know increasingly as we went on or certainly on that record like quite a few of the songs rather than it starting with me it would start out of a rehearsal and it would we we you know jam i guess you'd call it you know and and you'd get into a groove and something would happen i'd start singing and you'd record it all and, and i would often then go back and take those and and start sculpting it into a song and we then sort of relearn it and so I don't feel amazing that sort of came out of a yeah that sort of weird slightly almost slightly high lifey or like slightly very sunshiny but kind of the Arista's bass line this slightly dubby thing and Greg playing this slightly kind of reminded me of some sort of African music almost but um hmm. But yeah, and then the song sort of came out. I mean, you know, I can sort of remember where I was at at that time and lyrically and like, you know, I think some, well, I think the lyrics are pretty self-explanatory, but yeah, it's a weird one actually, because I, I sort of find the music was, well, I think the music that it came out of was probably a lot more up actually, but somehow then as the lyrics grew, it sort of became a much sadder song. And on that record, it was the first time we properly worked with a producer rather than a sort of co-producer, which was deliberately, you know, a sort of record company suggestion because after Red, it was like, right, I think you all need someone that you defer <laughs> to, which was very um, challenging for me, uh -huh. being the freak that I am. But, you know, it, it, it worked out well. I remember struggling on that song because to me, it was all about the sort of weird skittering beats that Greg was playing and sort of, and David was, very much like we're gonna have a simple beat simple i mean he's the baseline kind of remained but you know he got greg to really simplify the kind of way he was playing the drums strummy acoustics kind of you know and initially i was like this is really boring but like <laughs> eventually i was kind of like all right fair enough like when the whole thing came together i was like there was just you know i can sort of see how there was this really solid foundation there and actually probably the song wouldn't have come across as well had we recorded it the way we were initially playing it you know, I don't know. I think both versions in my head, are, but but yeah. Um, no, I mean it's one. I'm yeah. Like I'm I'm proud of that one as a song. Yeah, like it's. 
I I wanted to ask you about this because you, you mentioned the darkness of the lyrics, and mm. it, you mentioned that just a few seconds ago that uh, you know sometimes it can be more cool to be dark, but you're right because of the music, it doesn't feel like a a, a cool song, a cool dark song. It, it feels like really brings out this really vulnerable quality that uh, I was wondering if if you were the band picked up on or were going for because it it feels it, it feels almost like you're just exposing your heart for everyone to see in that song. Well, for whatever reason, I've always just found that easy to do. Like it, uh, it's it's never conscious. It's never a, you know, it's never a tactic or or, or direction. <laughs> it's not like right, I'm going to be vulnerable on this album. It it, it it's just what I'm like as a person for, you know, and I think there's strength and weaknesses to that. You know, I, I'm learned over the years that I'm, you know, I can definitely be quite an oversharer and like, you know, I'm sure you can tell even interviewing me, it's like, I, I you ask me a question, I'll suddenly start talking for 20 minutes. Like I, I just sort of, I'm like that. And, you know, as I've got older, I've had to sometimes learn, you know, my old therapist once said to me, you know, like I said something in a session once, I was like, I feel like I think too much. And she's like, you don't think too much. You just don't have to always tell people what you're thinking all the time. <laughs> it's like, oh, right. Don't I? Uh, um, so I don't know. I think, I think for whatever reason, like I find it very easy to just pull my heart out. And I think sometimes people whose tastes are maybe on the cooler side probably find that a bit irritating and a bit like overly <laughs> sentimental. And I can see that, you know, but at the same time, I think by the time you get to my age, like I'm sort of comfortable with that too. And as much as I want to push that, and if I'm going to be direct more and more, I'm like, well, I really want the lyrics to be good. And I really, you know, and I want it, I want it to be no filler in there or no cliche or I always remember it was really, really nice. I, uh, this sounds like a bit name droppy, but it, it it's sort of relevant to what you said. I, at the height of my solo record, which basically got a second win because I covered a Billy Joel song for an ad and, it got repackaged and I for about six months found myself in this weird land of like playing like very very mainstream sort of you know radio road shows and things mm -hmm. last long, yeah she's but... always a woman was uh, <laughs> yeah was... yeah and I mean you know the wonderful song and and you know but but I I once in 2010 I did this I, I was one of the singers in this Elvis concert with the BBC concert orchestra in in Hyde Park in London but it was really lovely because uh, I'd sang two songs. I, I I did Always On My Mind with the orchestra, but then I did Love Me Tender, totally solo on the guitar. But um, Priscilla Presley was there. And it, I mean, I don't know. She might say stuff like this to everyone, but it, I, I was really, she kind of talked to me often. She was she, she was like, she was kind of like, you know, Elvis, Elvis would have really loved that because you're really vulnerable and he was vulnerable. And and I, I was just like, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe she was just, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's I sent it felt like she really meant it. And I was like, wow, that's like an amazing compliment. Like, because like, geez, I mean, this is Elvis we're talking about, you know. You, you, so yeah. I, I I don't know. I'd never really thought uh, maybe I'd never quite thought about it until she said that. But I was like, yeah, I don't think vulnerability is a choice. Like I think you just hmm. or maybe it is for some people, I don't know. But like, yeah. That that's one thing I was wondering about. And so much of what you just said in that answer. You feel in channels may change, which we're going to get to in right, just yeah. a second. Uh, you, you had uh, so a after Walk the River, I was wondering if you could tell everybody you had a very <laughs> ambitious 
you made a very ambitious announcement about what was going to come next for the Gillimat. <laughs> yeah, well, we 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 sort of we, we were in this transition phase. We basically we parted with our manager who had managed us since the start for various reasons. But we, we had this idea of doing uh, four albums in a year, one for each season, because we basically had made. Well, we'd known this guy Jonas for a while, but we he was part of our crew, but he was a musician too. But he 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 has studio out in Norway. And he was always like, you guys should come out and we can hang out and record. And we finally did it in 2011 for two weeks and had the best time. Started about 15 tracks or something. And we were like, there's so much stuff here and there's so much more we could do. It's like, imagine if we put out like four albums in a year. How amazing would that be? <laughs> but, you know, so the first one, Hello Land, came out, which I really love as a record. Mm -hmm. But that, Great. you know, we took our time on. So that didn't end up coming out till May. You know, but that was still just about spring. But then the next record, it's this weird sort of riddle that still, 11 years later, there was something very, very special and universal in the music, in, certain, in the bunch of songs that felt like so poppy, but so joyful. It's what we're talking about, that joy thing, mm -hmm. passion and and making the working on the songs was just this, but you know, initially it was like, oh my god, like they, we can just finish this in two weeks. And but then, you know, then musically it started being, well, hang on, like imagine how good it would be if, you know, we got an orchestra on it and we sort of cobbled together a kind of student orchestra. Then it was like, but we don't want it to just sound like it was made in the fifties. So imagine, like, let's really go into synths and it gradually became like making it more and more colourful. But and then at some point realizing, hang on, I haven't even thought about the lyrics. And all, all we're using is these initial guide vocals I did. And a lot of the lyrics are just kind of like cliche. They're, they're just filler. Like they're just something I was singing to have something to sing. And it's almost like they're songs out of, I have this sense that they're songs out of like a film or a musical or something. And there's a story to be told. But I've been kind of ever since searching for what that is. It's fun. I was actually playing with one of the, one of the tracks yesterday a little bit last night. I mean, it's ridiculous the amount of unreleased stuff I'm sitting on, but that is starting to change now, I'm glad to say. And it, ju it just became like, I was like, I can't rush this just for the sake of meeting this plan that we have. It's like, I, I, I just cannot, it's the worst feeling to me, imagining putting something out that I'm not proud of. I ha you know, it has happened on occasion, but not very much. And it's a horrible feeling. And I was just like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to put these out unless I'm, they're as good as I know they can be. But then I, I, it ended up that to save money, it was just gradually it became just me that was going out to Norway instead of the whole band. And, you know, I was still working on them with the same tracks by like April the next year. And eventually, <laughs> I, was like, I think we just need to take a break. Yes, there is still a lot of unheard stuff from all that. But yeah, we, we, we didn't manage to do four albums in a year and it would have been nice. And it was a bit embarrassing. But, you know, it's a first world yeah. problem. Yeah, it would have been amazing, but it was a fantastic goal. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I, I, uh, I do, I am really fond of Hello Land, like so, you know, mm -hmm. that's that. But yes, the, 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 there are some other tracks beyond the ones that were going to be on the summer record, actually, that would kind of be good to release now as they are, and we, we are going to do that at some point. We just haven't got around to it yet. Now, from a fan's perspective, at least from from my perspective, you kind of went silent for about six or seven years. So what yeah. was going on during that time? I sort of just retreated into my, I had to kind of, 
Well, th- there were various factors. I mean, our guitarist McGraw uh, in 2013, at that point, even though now it all kind of feels redundant, but at that point, he sort of, decided. you know, he sort of wanted, he decided to leave the band and sort of announced he left the band. And, and, and even though actually now, you know, we're all in touch and I think we very much still think of ourselves as we're all in a band and we will at some point get together and make new music, I'm sure, but we just live all over the world. But, you know, so at that point it was like, well, sort of like the band's finished because I mean, the way he played guitar, it wasn't like you could just get another guitarist in, like he had a very, he played it more like a synth or something. And, you know, we we absolutely could have, the three of us could have carried on, and but it, it just felt like, uh, for various reasons, it just felt like, yeah, I think the band needs to have a hiatus. And so there was this period of acclimatization between that for, for a few months, I remember feeling this weird thing of like, I almost wouldn't allow myself to do any other music except trying to work on those tracks from Norway. But eventually I was like, Fife, give yourself a break. Like just, you know, it's all right. And so I started and then suddenly there was this thing of like, whoa, I can, I can make anything I want to make because, you know, really for eight years or so I'd, I'd been in a band like I said earlier, with three very, you know, dear friends, but very, uh, you know, opinionated people, you know, and so it wasn't a case of just like, you know, there was compromise involved. And and sometimes that that was a really, you know, the, the, trying to do something that we all liked was an amazing thing. But if there was something where I just 100% wanted to be in charge of the creative vision, I kind of had to... Uh, siphon that off as a potential future side project and suddenly I was like oh right I can literally just do anything I want now and all sorts of weird stuff started pouring out all kinds of not really a bunch of like songs more loads of fragments long meandering things and strange rhythms and beats and started playing around with like talking strange characters a lot and just all kinds of stuff do I just start morphing onto Birdwatcher because it all kind of leads? Yeah, into yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Because this, this, so you, you, you kind of emerge, you know, seven years later with this channelsmaychange.com. Mm. Uh, and uh, you've got a lot of music on there, but it it centers on this Birdwatcher series. So you started to kind of describe what what that's yeah. like. Could you, could you talk about that? Yeah. No, I mean, basically. I guess it was like a five-year process. You know, it was like 20, 2013, the, you know, Hello Land was 2012. And yeah, it was kind of 2013 that I really started sort of, you know, realized, okay, the band's over for now. Just exploring. And of course, always in the back of my mind, it was like, well, what am I going to release? What am I going to, you know? And and this, even though it was only 10 years ago, it still, the music industry has changed a lot. So it's then, mm-hmm. you know, it only been the year before, you know, we'd put Hello Land out on CD. I mean, I know Steve people still do that now, but then it still felt like, yeah, of course, it's on CD. I, I, it, it hadn't quite gone into the sort of Spotify world we're in now. So there wasn't, at that point, I didn't quite have that sense or realisation of like, oh, I can just make anything I like and put it online. Uh, so there was still a bit of a thing of like, what am I going to do? Am I going to do a, you know? But gradually I would say, you know, and I also, I had a son in 2015. So obviously like that, you know, the, the, I wasn't just sitting in my studio, every day, you know, I was being a, a human and being a dad and sort of in t- around 2015 2016 started forming ideas of 
what I was going to release next, but it kept shifting. And in fact, you know, that's still a thing for me now. It's, it's, you know, you're like, it's going to be an album. No, hang on. I think it's going to be a double album. No, it's going to be a quadruple album. Actually, no, let's make it a double album. But by about 2017, I was getting really frustrated because I, you know, I hear music in my head all the time. And, and what I'm often trying to do is, is capture that, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges. Can you get the sounds in your head out undiluted? Because there's a magic to that if you can. I don't believe in a lot of aspects of the kind of myth of, perfect, of perfection, as in sort of, I, I know, I, I, I don't believe that like, when so a lot of people, the attitude is like, you're never going to be satisfied with what you've done. You've just got to let that go. I don't agree with that. Like, I, I think if you really chase after something, you can achieve it. And it's amazing when you do. But what I did start realizing was that every track I'd start, I'd get to a point where it was, there was so much I wanted to do with it sonically because such a huge part of what I get off on is the, the sonic, you know, the, the sound, you know. And it would be like every track was like, I want to record like 40 different drummers on this and use little bars of each of them. And, you know, it was this patchwork. And it was just getting to the point where I was like, I'm never going to release any music because like if to, to do this on every single track, it's just like, and I was really stuck. I was like, what am I going to do? But then at the start of 2018, I sort of just had this realization that I was like, just because I put something out doesn't mean that doesn't mean that I can't come back to it and do another version or and I think one thing that had really influenced me even though it maybe took a few years for the the breakthrough to come was like listening I spent a lot of time in the years before listening to Brian Wilson's all the out all the smile sessions all the outtakes from him at the time in the studio making this music with all these amazing musicians and I you know obviously the story is like he never finished the album or well, what he did then years later but that's not quite the same thing as finishing it as mm -hmm. a young man in his 20s you know and so in a sense it was seen as this great failure but I sort of realized I was like but there's all this music to listen to and like it's only a failure if you're seeing all this as, as ultimately just leading towards an, a destination but there's hours of music you can listen to which are amazing you can listen to like two hours worth of just different versions of good vibrations and they're all amazing <laughs> you know and and so it's it made me realize that the context in which we view music completely changes our opinion of it. Like that, you, you can hear the same piece of music, but you, as if you see it as like, well, this is an unfinished thing that was never. It's like, oh right. But it, at the same time, if you know, if that was released as a single and it was, it, you'd see it one way. If you were knowing it was just a sketch, you'd hear it another way. If you were knowing it was one of fifty sketches, you'd hear it another way. And, that's really seeped in it made me realize that the context you hear stuff in is huge but so I also kind of started realizing was like if a friend comes to the studio I would play them what I'm working on or at least by 2018 I would I mean I, I gradually open you know for a while I was a bit like someone's like what are you doing and I'd be like um 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 well you know and I'd give like a 20 minute speech before I would play them anything I was like well, obviously this will sound different but I gradually loosened up in that respect and so I was like, well, I kind of just want to treat the whole world like it's a friend coming to the studio and just let people hear stuff. And as soon as I took the pressure off in my head of like, you're allowed to come back to this. This doesn't have to be the definitive version because in the internet age, there is absolutely no need for a definitive version of something because I understand it when you're physically pressing something and, you, you know, it would take months to repress it. But now, you know, you can do 
put out a different version every day of a song if you want, you know. So that became really exciting to me because I was like, oh, I went from having nothing ready to be heard by people to like, well, in that case, I've got like thousands of things people could hear. But then I was like, well, what do I do with this? And I don't really just want to like put a sound, you know, like a hundred tracks on SoundCloud. Although, I mean, it's, I love the fact Mac DeMarco has kind of basically just done that. I mean, it's, it's uh, interesting. I really know where he's coming from. He's just like, you know, what? I'm just going to call out. But for me, I was like, no, I want to create some sort of world for them to live in. And then this idea came of this series called Birdwatcher. Um, and it was this thing of, hang on, if I thread these together, this idea came of, because the series, it's basically like 12 episodes. They're about 25 minutes long each, give or take. They're free, you know, and they're free to listen to. That was important to me, actually. I mean, it was like, I I felt like had I been charging people to listen, there would have been a sense of, well, hang on, I've, I've paid to listen to this. Like, because <laughs> I, I wanted to feel completely free to do whatever I felt like doing creatively. So for example, the sixth episode starts with essentially a weird comedy sketch for about <laughs> four minutes, you know, of like this cantankerous, man called peregrine giving a speech and then he starts choking on some food and there's this other character called the waiter and another character called the sommelier and they sort of like it's it, you know i i remember recording that and like crying with laughter i was like what am i doing like you know um but anyway yeah i, I so then yeah this idea came of right i'm gonna make this series and i want it to live in its own place on the internet this is this is not a masterclass in how to have commercial success. In many ways, it's a masterclass <laughs> how not to. But um, because I've realized a lot since then. But I felt I just was like, no, I want it to be in its own place. And the idea was very much that Channel May Change would would grow as an entity, and that absolutely is going to happen. And there is stuff happening next year, which is really exciting to me. But you know, I'm still working on that. But for various reasons, that hasn't happened yet. Even though this was nearly five years ago. But yeah, and I just, I, I just, even though I'm, you know, I, I'm pretty terrible at giving myself deadlines. I could feel this one was real. I was like, this September, I'm going to put out, start putting out an episode every Friday till the end of the year. And so I, I was just, you know, I was like, I need a website. And I only thought of the name for the site a few weeks before the date, you know, it was, <laughs> it was all back to the two, to the, whatever the expression is. And yeah, so I sort of, it was a crazy few months because even though this was, I was drawing from all the stuff I'd been starting over the previous years, I still was making these episodes in real time. So like by, you know, through September to December, I was feverishly working in the studio often through the night. Cause I was like, I just have to get it as good as I can. And the I idea. Remember, uh, continuous Twitter updates. Yeah, that's right. Cause I wasn't on Instagram <laughs> at that point. So yeah, yeah it was only on it was only on, in fact, now you say that, I think I remember your name on Twitter. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the, that would, that was it. I'd be on Twitter and new episodes up, you know. And, and um, so I drove myself near mad in the process because it was very, you know, it was supposed to be seven o'clock on Friday and the time gradually slipped. So I think by the 12th episode, it was like one o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, you know, <laughs> but I just about managed to do it. I'm really, really like I'm, it was so lovely that you mentioned it in the email because it's a really dear thing to me. Like it, it, it is. Uh, yeah, I'm very, very fond of it. And I, I am too. I, I recommend it to everybody out there, and I think you've described it perfectly. That you, you talked about getting 
all of the different sounds out of your head and into the music. And you can really feel that when you listen to this. And over the course of 12 episodes, if you just separated out the music, it'd probably be about three albums worth of music. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's probably about, uh, I think there's probably about four and a half hours worth of stuff. And, you know, a lot of it is in songs. It was really interesting to me as a process because I, you know, I I made a, a conscious decision that I'm like, we're not going to send out a press release. We're not going to be like Fife Dangerfield returns with a, you know, <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, which is interesting because, you know, I like all creative people. I'm a mix of a complete egotist and like, you know, a real shy, you know, tell <laughs> you know, so I was like, that just looks so corny. And so, and also, I guess I didn't want the pressure of, I don't know. I, I just had this idea of just tell journalists about it, tell DJs. But I believed in it so much because in my head, I was like, I've invented a new genre, but I've never heard of <laughs> it. It's like, it's a cross, it's like a sort of somewhere between a serialized album and a podcast, you know, like, and mm-hmm. I still, you know, sort of believe like it's its own I, I don't know anything quite like it but I had this idea that I was just like well of course word it's just going to spread like wildfire because everyone's like yeah I heard of the guy from Guillemots and stuff <laughs> like it, it's absolutely nothing happened basically I mean there were, you know there was people like you who which is so lovely were listening were tuning in every week and I could see on Twitter people and I'd get emails and you know so you even I, for one of your I songs uh, asked fans to contribute to one of the one of the songs yes I there was one track I wanted a whole I wanted like a, a swarm a kind of fly swarm of the word nothing so I got loads mm-hmm. of people send in themselves saying nothing but you know I, I could see that it was that people did get into it and really loved it at the same time I realized that for a lot of people if it's not on Spotify like you haven't it doesn't exist or, or Apple or Deezer or whatever yeah. you're choices and that was really uh, baffling to me because like in the months afterwards I I I hadn't planned ahead because I was just like well this is going to start my career off again but you know literally in in a wonderfully meta sort of twist of fate the only press it got was in bird watching magazine (laughs) which is amazing you know they did an interview with me and I talked about it and stuff and but yeah it it just it made very little impact on the world of music and so then I was like oh no like what what now and 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 then you'd have people on Twitter or Instagram over going when are you going to release some new music I was like I'm just what what do you want from me you know but I'm really glad all that happened because it made me realize that now whilst I very much want it's I love the fact that I have my own place on the web and it's it was purposeful that it wasn't fivedangerfield.com because even though I'm the sort of Wonka figure behind it. I, I want it to be not just about me. I want it to be just a world of creativity and all sorts of collaborators. And so whilst I very much want to build that, it also made me realize, yeah, but you also need to use all these other channels too. Because for some people, they can't be bothered with that. They do just want a 10-track album. And I totally respect that. And, you know, that I'm still figuring a lot of that stuff out now. But, you know, I became obsessed in that series with wanting to portray, again, to use that expression, the full spectrum of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think as a songwriter, especially in the Guillemot stuff, coming back to what I was saying earlier on, 
a lot of that without even realizing it you're sort of filtering yourself so it's like you go you're writing a song and without even realizing it, you go into the sort of lingo and delivery of the sort of romantic poet and it's like oh, you know and that's fine but I was like no I also want to express the side of me that's sitting around in stained tracksuit trousers eating a curry and watching telly or <laughs> that's like that's really horny or that's really <laughs> resentful or you know like I, I I want to put it all across and you know and it does it does feel so personal, especially since you're doing all of the voices for all of the different characters. Yeah, well, pretty and, much all the voices. Yeah, okay, yeah. but it it also feels universal in a way because you are talking about all of those things that that uh, everybody feels, and and it actually because it's so personal, I it comes across as even more intense to me. Like there's even more of an intense connection, if that makes any sense. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I. I think I think the thing is, whenever you're truly personal, that is universal anyway. But mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I don't think Birdwatch is universal in the sense of like it, it's so specific. Right. Um, and you know, it was my I, I was like, I want to get the outside, the inside of my head, outside. You know, and it's only afterwards it's like, why would anyone want to hear the inside of my head? <laughs> you know, but I had to do it anyway. Um, and you know, at the same time, of course, there is relatability in there because we are all this strange churning tumble dryer washing machine of all this uh, energy going around and thoughts and feelings and but no I mean it's it, it's something that I'm you know and, and and I did have plans you know at one point I was like I, I did try and think about can I make an album from this but it didn't quite there's so many songs to distill it into like a 10 track album didn't quite work so I ended up a few years later putting out an EP with a, some of the tracks that are in the first two episodes which always belong together for me and they yeah. were going to be on and still maybe someday on an album with a few other tracks that weren't in Birdwatcher. But yeah, so it's this strange kind of. And we also did, I should mention, me and my friend Gavin, who created the website with me. He, we also made the artwork together. Like he's, a you know, amazing with all that kind of graphic stuff. So we did these. Every episode has a an artwork, which I got just as into that as the music. I mean, <laughs> My skill set is music, but in terms of ideas, I, I would be paying as much attention to detail in these pictures. Like, right, can we make that, you know, rock slightly purpler and a tiny bit smaller and move it a bit mm. to the left? And then we also, as a way of putting the track list across, across we, I, 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 um, I did each track list for each episode in the style of a kind of pretentious Michelin star restaurant. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it, it, there was so much there that just made me laugh as well. And mm -hmm. and humor is very important to me and probably didn't come across that much in Guillemot. I, yeah, I, I was going to describe it as, as sort of a combination radio play and Monty Python sketch. So I think I think that. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it, you know, it's definitely like more and more humor and comedy is, is a part of my world, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, channelsmaychange.com. It's still up there. You can see all the fabulous artwork. You can download all of the, the episodes yeah. still. Moving on from that, this year you've released three new singles, and I, I wanted to, to to close out talking about Shook mm. because it, it to me it really encapsulates a lot of what you've talked about. It, it it's an eight minute long song, and it's <laughs> yeah. it's got highs and lows, and it really feels like it really feels like we're in the, on the inside of your head.
yeah i mean it it it, it to, you know to to uh like not to mince words you know i mean it was kind of basically the sound of me sliding into a complete breakdown which, which mm -hmm. i had in 2021 i i went into a very very dark place for a good few months kind of didn't think i was ever going to come out of it but you know I, I actually the stuff that people say to you when you're in that state and you can't really take in often is true and like now i just feel like it was the best thing that ever happened to me because like uh, i learned so much and i'm learning so much and life feels so much richer and and uh beautiful now like big, big, because you know when you think you're never going to feel happiness again you do it's like it's just you appreciate it so much more but yeah I mean I, I don't need to go into what happened you know but like yeah various life events sort of piled up and and that track had started as as a there's actually another song called Weather Rhymes which the, the, the riff in shook this kind of da, 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 da. that's actually from another song and I was working on that song, but I was doing some very speed recording and I'd I'd sped it up briefly because I was recording some drums and I was going to slow them down. But then I was like, oh, this sounds quite cool. So then started this new track. But it, it was a really interesting one because, yeah, I mean, I was working on it as a, as as I the best way I can describe it is that I could sort of feel that I was water getting sucked into a plug hole and there was nothing I could do you know you've just got that feeling this just like I don't know how to stop this you know which is terrifying I never really finished Shook it, it like I I took a bounce on the 5th of May 5521 um and it was just because I was like oh I guess I better just make a reference of it so you know and then a few weeks later, I was in I was in a psychiatric hospital, so I didn't I couldn't listen to it for months. But then I I did listen to it again, and I was like, I'm not opening that session again. <laughs> I mean, I actually have opened the session since, mm -hmm. but like I was like, I'm not I'm not going back. I'm I'm that's done, <laughs> which I've never done before. But you know, I was like, no, I admit defeat. Like it's done. Yeah, and I just I always just felt like I really want to put this song out because it 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 it's God knows if anyone's gonna like it, but it feels very, very I don't think anyone else could have made it. It feels very singular and I just have had this sense of it's it's true, you know, and, and I and I, I want it to be out there. It was mastered and mastering for those who don't know, it's a very mysterious process <laughs> where you finish a track and it's mixed but then it gets mastered. The equivalent in TV or film would be like grading, I guess, but it's mm -hmm. like, you don't change the actual balance of the instruments or anything like that, but the overall brightness or bass or treble or whatever can, can change. And I really struggle with mastering because often I'm like, I like it. I don't want it to change. And in fact, so quite a lot of the tracks I've released recently are unmastered because I'm like, mm -hmm. just again, you don't have to master it. Who says you have to master it? <laughs> but uh, I, I, I uh, this guy mastered it and I, I listened to it once didn't even really give it a chance was like no no it's too no no and then a few days later I was like walking out around here to go and get some breakfast and I was like let's just listen to it in headphones and I don't know I swear he did something like even though it's very subtle he brought out something in in, in and I just had this really beautiful moment when I was walking along and it was in the passage in the middle just as it crashes into the third section and I just started welling up. I mean, even talking about it now, I get it because I was just like, 
I just got this sense of like, I made this. Wow. <laughs> like, and and I'm still here. And 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 I didn't end up under through the plug hole forever. And like it was it was felt very life affirming. So even though it's it, it's a track with a, a lot of darkness that informed it, I you know, I, I I did not want it to just be, I wouldn't have put it out if I thought I just want to share my darkness with the world. But I think there's a sort of uh, weird sort of euphoria it, it, towards the end of the track almost. There's there's a sense of like, I am alive and, I, and I'm going to do everything in my power to fight this, even if right now I, I can't. And yeah, then we made a video and the video was initially... We will link to the video in the show notes. It's right, thanks. Because I'm, I'm really <laughs> I'm really proud of it. But like, it was so funny because I think such a part of creativity is being open to... Always being open to what feels right rather than what you think is right or what you've preconceived as being right. So when I met with Gavin to make a video... The initial thing was like, I want this to be complete overload. I want it to be colors, patterns, just wow, 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 just complete. Whoa. And so we started playing around with all this stuff and, you know, and then at some point it was like, do you think you should be in the video? And, I was, and we were both like, well, I don't know. I guess maybe we can film some stuff and let's try it. And so we filmed some stuff and then put it over. And then we were playing around with like, should I be on top of the projections or should I be transparent? And then it's, at some point he made it black and white. So I was black and white and there was the colors. And at some point there was just this moment where I kind of looked at each other and was like, should the video just be me in black and white in really uncomfortable close up? Um, and so that ended up being the video. It's this like, the only way I can describe it, I don't know if anyone else sees it this way, but to me, it is so serious. It's it's hilarious. I mean, I, I don't mean it's a comedy video, but like yeah. it is ridiculously intense. But mm -hmm. to a point, I, I find it kind of funny, like, uh, you know, because it's just, but it, and it's also the, the, whatever the lens he used, some sort of, I don't know, super close up thing. It's just insane what the human skin and everything looks like when it's that sharp and black and white. I mean, there's some shots of my tongue in there and I was, I was really freaked out. I kept looking at them, but it's like, what my tongue looks like? I'm like a lizard. I, 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 
but I've never I've never been that central in a video before and it 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 felt like quite a statement and at that point I still had this you know I have now cut my hair but for a long time I had huge long hair and a beard and mm -hmm. kind of wanted to look like I'd been living in the woods and it, it you know it, it kind of felt really uh very empowering to put that video out you know and again I think I had this sense of this is gonna take off this is gonna go viral and of course it didn't you know but it's there and I think that's the thing it's like the of course, it's nice if that happens. But the main thing, the wonderful thing about the internet now, although probably not so good sometimes if when people have said things that come back to haunt them, but like it's there, you know, and you can at any point, if someone, one person listens to this, they might go and check it out and it's, it's there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, that, uh, I, I just wanted to say, as, as a fan and as somebody who's had his own mental health struggles, Hearing a song like Shook or I Don't Feel Amazing Now, it, just just knowing that there was somebody else at one point in time who felt exactly this way or a very similar way to how you felt is just really comforting. <laughs> even even when we're we're looking at your your weird tongue in a music video, so <laughs> no, so well, a lot I mean, I'm... yeah, I mean, I, I I'm. I'm with you, you know, I mean, like, I, yeah, I I think, I think mo most people on some level, I mean, you know, like, I think we all do this thing of thinking like everyone else has got it together and we haven't. And, you know, like the reality is quite the opposite, I think. And yeah, I think that is the really powerful thing about the arts generally is that like, like you say, I mean, you, you know, sometimes it's just that feeling of, oh, I'm not the only one, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, more and more I've become aware of that with each passing year that like, you know, when you're young, it's just like, I make music, I like making music, so that's why I make it, because I like it. Um, but as you get older, you do start, well, I anyway have started being more aware karmically and like, why am I doing this? What's it for? You know, there's a thing called the gene, the gene keys, which is a kind of wisdom teachings that has profoundly helped me. The last couple of years one sort of thing that's often said in that is there's almost like this mantra of like you know how can i best serve the whole you know like what what can i do to you know and you can interpret that many ways it, it can mean in a family or in the world or in a situation or you know but like always having that in mind you know i know for me i i want to do stuff that connects people with their hearts and and opens them like like and that's an abstract thing in a way but it's also a very simple thing like because that's what music and film and art and all this stuff can do that for no apparent reason you can hear or watch something and you start crying or you you feel a rush of elation or you feel you know and it and and the heart closing down is is you know you look at what's happening in the world at the moment like yeah. this would not be happening if people had an open heart I mean you just mm -hmm. would not be waging a war you would not be doing the despicable things that are being done you know if you you know, but humans, you know, this happens, we close and we get gnarled and twisted. And, you know, so, I, you know, for me that I, I know that I can do that. Like, in, you know, I, yeah, there can be different technical ways you do that, whether it's through music or, but to me, it's less important, whether it's a song or music or even some other art form, but it's like whatever I'm doing, that's ultimately the purpose. And that doesn't have to be put through putting out a beautiful piece of music. It can be putting out I mean, I actually thought a lot about 
you know, one thing I want to do is somehow find a way of reaching people who are in an unreachable state because for a few months I was in that state. I lost mm -hmm. my sense of humor completely. I, I saw everything through a lens of negativity. And, you know, I couldn't listen to stuff about love and light then. I was just like, fuck off. No, like, <laughs> but, but it's like, I want to, re you know, so it's sometimes it's not through being beautiful. Sometimes it's probably through putting really ugly stuff out in the world and like maybe getting a sick laugh out of someone because even that might just give them the tiniest. There's a lovely story, Bill Murray. I saw Bill Murray in an interview once and he he, he talks about a spell when he was very low and he was listening to someone's record and I can't remember who it was, but it was a kind of comedic songwriter. And he said that there was one line the guy delivered and he just noticed himself kind of go, huh. <laughs> and that was it. It was like this tiny, but then it, he just noticed, oh, I, I, that was the tiniest, tiniest semblance of a laugh I did there. And from that, he sort of gradually recovered, you know, and, and that's all it takes sometimes is the tiniest, Anyway, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm going off on one. Oh, yeah. no, that's that's okay. I, I think that's a that's a good way to close this out. You, I know you're working on new music. I won't pin you down on uh, as to when it's coming out. <laughs> well, I don't um, even know. But, I mean, <laughs> it, there's so much, and, I yeah, I, I'm figuring a lot of stuff out. But, you know, there's, I've got a lot of plans for next year, definitely, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. We're, we're looking forward to it. Everybody, visit channelsmaychange.com. Uh, download the Birdwatcher series. Uh, Fife's got a lot of other interesting stuff on that site you've got solo piano pieces and and uh other other things like that and uh we're looking forward to your your new music and thanks very much for joining us thank you very much Patrick it's been a pleasure all right everyone we'll see you next time on creating dangerously may I have your attention please I think you all remember the bargain we made about staying all night yeah I'll put the owls again Something you've forgotten to take That lake gave you the lips to be Deeper than any sea Sorry, not tonight, Vincent. I'm off with the bird watcher. Thanks for joining us today, folks. Our opening and closing themes are by Shane Ivers. Creating Dangerously, a monthly podcast, is a production of the Shauna E. Shea Memorial Foundation, Inc., a 501c3 charitable organization. All views and opinions expressed in Creating Dangerously are not necessarily those of the Shauna Foundation and its affiliates. Not that we have any. They are only the opinions of the hosts and the guests. See you next month, and remember... Keep creating dangerously.